Hello and welcome to another episode of the Back Check, the Hockey History Podcast, where we look at the cases that players have to go in the Hall of Fame. This episode is an all-defenseman episode and a mostly American defenseman episode. Um, and we might both say mostly dirty American defensemen. Um, <laughs> and for our inducted player, we have Gary Suter. Or, no, sorry, our uh, eligible player, we have Gary Suter. Uh, for our inducted player, we have Chris Chelios. And then for our old-time inducted player, we have Bullet Joe Simpson. So we're going to start things off with uh, Mr. Gary Suter, who played from 1985 to 2002, and the 17 seasons, 15 of which were quality, and who... As a uh, ranks among the highest in terms of offensive metrics for an American-born defenseman, so he is uh, like he's twentieth all time in uh, points by defenseman or goals rather, fourteenth all time in assists, fourteenth uh, all time uh, in points, and uh, he is twenty-third all time in point shares. And he's uh, 15th all-time in offensive point shares for a defenseman. And that is out of everyone. And then if you make the qualifier in American, he's fourth or fifth among American D behind Chelios and Leach and Housley. Uh, so, you know, pretty that's pretty good company in terms of offense. Yeah, well, you have to remember the first eight or so years of his career when he was in Calgary, he was playing with Al McInnes, and they were, uh, they were lighting it up pretty good. Yes. I just realized I didn't. Inter- I'm terrible. I didn't introduce ourselves. So I'm Riley. That's Bill. I'm Bill. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Gary Suter. Like when he first started his career, I'm, I I had started watching hockey at that point. Probably really started watching it uh, in actually eighty eight, eighty nine when he won the cup with Calgary. And I just mm-hmm. remember you know, the next few years after that, every time we played Calgary, they they'd get on that power play and it was Suter and McInnes running it, and they were just dynamite out there. Of course. You know, they had guys like Gilmore and uh, Neuendijk and like, had some really good players yeah. uh, through three. Yeah. So it was a heck of a power play. But, um, but Suter, I mean. That uh, Suter played so well with McInnes. Yeah. And because Al had that thought, he could sort of just set him up for that bomb from the point. And, you know, he was going to pick up points. But it's not because he played with Al McInnes. He was pretty good in his own right. I don't know if it's a great, but he was definitely. A, yeah. <clears throat> kind of reminds me actually of um, when his nephew um, Ryan Suter was playing in uh, in Nashville with um, yeah. Weber. Yeah. It's almost like they just recreated the exact same pairing because you know Gary Suter was kind of like a do everything defenseman, and then you know Weber and McInnes were both good defensemen with like a shot that is just ridiculous. So they're going to put up twenty goals a year pretty much no matter what. Yeah. Well, I mean, and just to that point, I mean, we're, we'll talk about it in a minute, but Suter had one year where he had 90 points, mm-hmm. which is, like, pretty much unheard of for a defenseman, right? There's only eight defensemen who've ever done that in the history of the NHL, and Gary Suter is one of them. Um, and McInnes is one of them as well, but, like, uh, you know, Suter did that, I believe, before McInnes had his crazy 100-point season. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, you know, like you said, it was because he was feeding not just McKinnis, but just this this ridiculous offensive team with all these strong offensive players. Who- oh, yeah. I mean, that, that Flames team was so good. And the only reason we don't talk about them as either like a little mini dynasty or, or you know, like an, a, a great team that won two or three cups is because they always had to run into the Oilers at West. So they just never seemed to squeak by them. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And the only two times they did, they made it directly to the cup because it's basically, you know, the cup was decided at West every year pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Suter, uh, also for his era, was pretty good offensively, but it also gives you an idea how strong, how offensive the era. He, you know, he only played the last, I want to say, a third of his career in the in the dead puck clutch and grab era. So even though he is among the top 15 offensive defensemen in the history of the NHL, he is somehow only one of the top 10 offensive defensemen uh, who played a thousand games between 85 and 2002. Wow. Yeah. Well, it goes to show the era, right? Like it only really tightened up towards the end of his career exactly. when probably he would have started to decline a little bit anyways. So he was ninth in goals, eighth in assists, and seventh in points among that group, which gives you an idea that like, this is a guy he was who scored 90 points in a season. Yeah. So he, you know, there were people who were scoring more obviously in that group. We've got uh, McInnes and we've got Chelios and we've got uh, Housley and we've got Leach and we've got Coffee. I don't know if, yeah, I was just, I was going to say Coffee. But I was a hundred, not like, I don't remember when Coffee retired. I feel like it was a little earlier than that, but he might have played that much. But yeah. like Larry Murphy, um, mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of like the people ahead of I I don't know I I don't have it in front of me, but the people ahead of him are all pretty much in the Hall of Fame or a lot yeah. of them are. But it's also just the era was just the defensemen were scoring, you know, more defensemen were scoring at like not quite Bobby Orr levels, but like Denny Potvin levels anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. than like ever before. And uh, you know, it just shows goes to show you that even though Suter was doing that, he still wasn't the like, you know even in the top five in terms yeah. of scoring among defensemen for that time, which is bonkers given how much he scored. I know. And, uh, and you, uh, Bill, you like to talk about drafts, so we mm -hmm. should probably bring up... I'm just doing that right now because I, uh, of course, didn't have it open. So why, <laughs> why? why be prepared? Um, I know where he ranks in his draft, but I... I I don't remember who else is in there, so I'm just bringing it up. The 1984 draft, where he was drafted uh, really, really low, uh, 180th, which is uh, uh, back then was way, way down in the uh, ninth round. Wow. And I, I think a lot of that probably has a lot to do with the fact that they didn't really draft Americans out of college very much back yeah. then. Like it was sort of a new thing. Absolutely. So when Absolutely. he drafted an American college player, it was like, oh, we'll use like an eighth rounder on him after we've drafted everyone in major junior. You know, like well, just sort of the way yeah. it works. So the WCHA, I guess that was the like the Western half of the, yeah, because he was from, he was drafted from college, like you said. And mm -hmm. And yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. They didn't know anything about them. They weren't sure because he's, you know, all other things like if you ignore the rest of it, he's ninth in games in that draft, despite being drafted in the ninth round. Yeah. Um, and, you know, well ahead of like most of the players. Well, obviously, the vast majority of players drafted in front of them, but even the players in the uh, in the top 10, you know, like there's only a in the top 10, there's only two guys who played more games than him. And now that's because Lemieux had injuries. But, like, you know, he really uh, – it, it proved to be a very good choice for Calgary because, like, oh, yeah. I mean, he is 
by games anyway, he's absolutely one of the top ten players in the draft. And yeah. you know, even by, I mean, even by offense, he's 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 top fifteen in goals, but he's top five in assists, top ten in points, and top five in plus minus for the draft, despite being drafted way the hell and back. Um, but there were there were other successes back there, like uh, Cliff Ronning was in that draft, and he was drafted one hundred thirty fourth, yeah. and Don Sweeney was drafted one hundred sixty sixth. Um, you know, and then like some of the guys in the top five were, it just had, you know, they weren't as healthy or they didn't play as long. So it's um, it's an interesting draft here because um, it it it's you know the thing about him not being right, he got passed over in the eighty three draft and he was the captain of the national champions in the United States. Oh, I didn't know that. And nobody drafted him, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think that would happen nowadays. He led uh, Dubuque, no. Dubuque to uh, to a national championship, and was you know, I mean, everybody knew like he was a good player, but just you know, they like if you look at round one, there's one Czech, one Swede, four Americans, and everybody else is Canadian out of 21 players. Yeah, I mean, and then you look at round two and uh, three Americans, one Finn, everybody else is Canadian. Like that's just the way the drafts were back then. It's just littered with Canadian flags throughout the draft until the later rounds. And then you start to see the other nationalities start popping up. So, And weirdly, it looks like one of the Americans was drafted straight out of high school, which is bonkers. Uh, <laughs> and, and funnily enough, didn't play a single game in the NHL. There you go. But um, yeah. And it's it, it about what you were saying about him on the team. Like, even if he wasn't a top considered a top prospect now, Someone would still take a flyer on before one one eighty. I got oh, think you would think, yeah, yeah. Um, if he was like the captain of the team, and you consider a good character guy, I mean, maybe not, but like it feels like they would. Mm-hmm. It's exceedingly good draft if you look if you look through all the rounds. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are some rounds where it's just like nothing, but then there's like you know Tide great Hall. players in the next round, and then a Hall of Famer here. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Kirk McLean, Patrick Roy, um, yeah. Stefan Richier, Terry Roberts, and then of course at the top Lemieux, and then Kirk Muller, yeah. Ally Frady, <laughs> yeah, Shane Corson, Kevin Hatcher, Ray Shepard, Mikel Pavanka, uh, tons of people, Peter Savota, Brett Hall, yeah, Brett Hall, Luke um, Robitaille, Todd Gill, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Look, Robbie Ty, yeah. Uh, like, there's there's some really good players. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a no. It was a really good draft here, and it's just it's just like like many of these old drafts that we look at. They didn't necessarily get the ranking, right? <laughs> the pre-draft ranking, right? But they found yeah. lots of good players because if you look at if you sort, uh, you can't on Hockey Reference you can't sort the draft by points per game, but if you sort by points. This is how this is the draft. I just find it hilarious. I'm just going to read out the first like eight, eight people. First overall is first in points. Second in points, 171st overall. Third wow. in points, 117th overall. Fourth in points, second overall. Third in points, 12th overall. Sixth in points, 134th overall. And then seventh is Gary Suter. Wow. And it's like, so like they were literally either very right about the player or completely, totally wrong. Yeah. Because like there's three guys in the top seven or eight who were drafted one one seventeen or later. It's just like somebody you know 
I, and I know, like, we have very different, the world is a different place now. The scouting infrastructure is just so different. Um, wow. And like you said, like, they, you know, they, they, there's a different attitude towards players from other countries, and and they just have the resources to find these people. I just still yeah. find it amusing when you, like, look at this, and you're like, you know, like, there's, there's, like, in those top eight, there's, there's a, three people already in the Hall of Fame, and, and two of those guys were drafted so far <laughs> and i know right yeah a couple other borderline hall of flamers uh you know one of whom was drafted even further back than robotai and it's just it's just pretty funny yeah well it's interesting how it works out you know but i think in those days i think a lot of the a lot of the teams hadn't necessarily invested a lot of money in the uh not not only just in American scouting, but in scouting, you know, over in Europe. But at that point, yeah, absolutely, that was the draft year where the Canadians took uh, Peter Svoboda, yeah, and um, most people didn't think he was available for selection in the draft, yeah, um, because he was uh, he was playing over uh, behind the Iron Curtain, and uh, not only not only was he eligible for the draft, he actually attended the draft. The Canadians were like the only ones who knew that he had defected for West Germany. <laughs> oh well. Wow. So uh so Serge Savard walked up to the podium and announced him. Everybody's like, Oh, like that's a weird pick. And then he walks up to the podium, like, holy crap, he's here. <laughs> so pretty he interesting. Pretty, he was pretty good for a while. Yeah, he really was, yeah. Um, all right. So uh some other things about Suter's career. Um we like to mention his eighty two game average, and that was sixty one points, which is now bonkers for a defenseman. Um, yeah, that was that's like, you know, Carlson territory. Yeah, yeah. And you know, back then it wasn't that weird. Yeah. Um, and his three-year peak from eighty-seven to ninety was an eighty-two game average of eighty-seven points. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just find that really funny because it's it, so it's, absurdly high. And and for and for you know for him not to be regarded as like the best offensive defenseman, it's just nuts. Yeah, yeah. Because there were other people doing more than that at the time. Yeah. Well, I was reading an article before, and it said when he came into the league, the average uh, goals per game in the NHL was eight goals per game. Jesus. The so game finishing 4-4 or 5-3. Yeah. And then by the time he left the league, uh, the average uh, goal per game was down to under five. So, I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> basically half the goals went away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a huge, huge change. Mm-hmm. Um, his playoff numbers are, are less ridiculous. 73 points in 108 games. Um and some of that is just, you know, it typically in, in the NHL, even in the wide open era, there's less scoring in the playoffs, but especially later on in his career. And then also he uh, he played a fair amount of playoff games throughout his career, including a bunch later on um, with uh, with Chicago and then um, with San Jose, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he obviously didn't score a ton. Um, later on in his career so like you know he was putting up 10 points in 10 games in his rookie season in the playoffs and then by the end of his career he's putting up still respectable four and 12 but like it's a big difference yeah huge difference. so that helps helps account for the fact that he uh and you know the odd bad playoff as well but um we like to talk about the trades he was traded uh three times and uh and they are some interesting ones, actually, uh, in part because he was traded basically twice in uh, in the span of two days uh, at the, the 94 trade deadline. So first he was traded to Hartford with uh, Paul Ranheim and 
Ted Dury, not Chris Dury, for <laughs> James Patrick, who I believe was at the end of his career at that point, Zarly Zalapsky, and what must have been a fairly young Michael Nylander. Yeah, so he's, he's quite young, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I don't know. Like, that doesn't seem that bonkers to me. Um, I don't remember some uh, two of those guys, but um, Michael Nylander was probably a bit of a prospect at that point. Uh, no, he he played for uh, the Flames in '94 in the playoffs. I remember because that was the year Vancouver beat them, and he's the he's the one that Kirk McLean robbed blind in uh, Game Seven in overtime. So yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, like prior to this trade to Calgary, he was he was. Oh, young... I, I would say he's a you know he's a very young player at that point, maybe even a rookie. And uh, yeah, no, he just played a necessarily little bit. One season prior, and <laughs> you know, put up fine numbers for how the fact he was twenty. Yeah, um, well, I don't know. The trade's not. Um, crazy. And then the very next day, he was traded to Chicago for Andy Cunningworth and a third round pick that eventually was somebody I've never heard of for Frantisek Kusera and Jocelyn Lemieux, which is just like, that is a terrible, terrible trade. <laughs> like, well, uh, Kusera and uh, Jocelyn Lemieux were, you know, serviceable NHLers, but definitely not anywhere close yeah. to, you know, but Pennyworth like, or, uh, or uh, Suter. I look at the like Hartford Calgary trade and I go like, I don't know, you know, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, Patrick's old at that point. I don't remember how old Zelaski was, but Michael Neolander was a turned out to be a pretty decent NHL player. And, you know, so like to me, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe Hartford gets the best player in that group, but like, it seems like a reasonable trade. And then literally the next day Hartford goes and like, you know, fuck this. Like, <laughs> we had a good deal. Let's just destroy it. Yeah, but you know, by like, yeah, it's almost, almost like somebody in the boardroom is like, "Wait a minute, guys, where are the whalers?" Oh yeah, okay, yeah. let's do something dumb. <laughs> um, it's like there's no like, you know, we're talking about Gary Suter as a possible Hall of Famer. No one else in that trade is remotely, remotely close to that conversation. Like yeah. not even a, you know, chance. And like. At that point in his career, he would have been in the league for nearly a decade, right? Like, people yeah. knew Suter was good. I mean, yeah, he was getting older. Um, you know, and 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 you know, his he obviously league had changed and stuff, but like, still, it just it just strikes me as like that's that's a bit of a it's a bit of a bad deal. And then lastly, um, he was traded to uh, San Jose for a ninth round draft pick in the summer of 1998, which just goes to show you how, at that point, how much older he was and also um, how much his stock had fallen. Well, I, was, I, I think maybe less than that. So you have to remember, this is something that probably some old Chicago fans, you know, the like three of them who didn't just buy a jersey in 2009. Um they, th their owner was notoriously cheap, so if Suter was still a good defenseman and partnered with Elios, and that was their top pairing, it's probably like I'm paying my top pairing, you know, let's say back in those days, uh, $8 million <laughs> for the two of them together. Um, and just being like, I can't, I'm not paying that guy that much money. And so just said, okay, he's got a high salary and he's getting older. Anybody want him? And San Jose's like, yeah, we'll take him. Like, here you go. Just send us anything. And it's I, have a feeling it was, I have a feeling it was that type of deal. Well, and it's worth noting to, to, to sort of reinforce that possibility is that he was playing over 20 minutes a game for the Sharks for yeah. the rest of his career. Aside from, so he missed most of the next season because he got hurt. Mm -hmm. But like the next three seasons after that, yeah. he played 
23 and a half minutes, 21 and a half minutes, and 20 minutes. Yeah. And he was 35, 36, and 37. Yeah. So he's clearly, he was still serviceable. So I think, yes, your theory is that the, the owner is just cheap, which we know, um, yeah. is, a, is a better explanation than just like his stock had plummeted because, of course, that's like a ninth round pick is like the odds yeah, of turning into an NHL player is that's very yeah, they're, they're very low. literally will you pay this guy instead of us paying him sure yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll give him to you just take him yeah so i have a feeling that's what it was and chicago wasn't particularly competitive at that point so yeah 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 so anyway um, only one of the trades i mean that from a chicago standpoint if if you if you were one of the few people who were paying attention to the blackhawks in the late 90s <laughs> that trade was probably very shitty but yes um, i don't yeah. know how many people there were because of course that was wasn't that when they were blacking out their games even though no one was attending them um i'm i'm not i'm not a big uh i'm not a big chicago blackhawks historian but i know they had that cheap owner and that their team was sort of down in the dump for about the next decade i would say my memory is that i heard somewhere that they at a, at a point when they had like very little attendance their owner became convinced that they would get more attendance if they stopped showing the games on television and even less people started to, to come to the games yeah. and allow me just an aside as i briefly rant about how idiotic it is for the owners of sport franchises to black out radio tv whatever their franchises because they think it's going to increase attendance it is like who is literally sorry this is just a pet peeve of mine who is sitting on their couch and who's like, I'm going to watch the Hawks game tonight. And then it's like, oh, I can't. I better go spend 40 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Nobody. You know, like, nobody. It's just not a thing that someone's going to do. Yeah, if, I, if, I, if you're not going, it's because either you're, you're too busy, you live too far away, or you just can't afford it. So either way, like, you're not going to change your mind. Yeah, yeah, because like, because the owner's a dick. Anyway, and then you're going to hate the owner. Like, it's just, I've never understood. Sports owners have been doing this since the invention of radio. Mm -hmm. And I've never, it's never made any sense to me. And I don't know, like, I, I kind of wish there were recordings of the conversations between the owners and their staff about why the rationale for it. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, it, literally, you are, like, you're doing, you're harming your brand. <laughs> You're just like, how can I like hurt my, hurt this 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 thing this invest this supposed investment I have? You know, I, like how can I, I? I would assume it probably sounds like one of the old famous rant tapes of Buddy Rich just like screaming and yelling at his band on the tour bus. <laughs> probably <laughs> like that. Just all sorts of nonsensical rambling of a madman who's, you know, clearly losing it because he feels like he's giving it his all and no one's listening. I'm paying how much money for these bums? Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pe people. People are not coming to the games because I'm giving it away for free on the radio yeah. and TV. Yeah, you know, first of all, people pay for that. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you can't you're not giving you can't it forget that those those like super ultra rich guys who own teams also, in some ways, they lose touch with reality a little bit because they've oh, been so rich for so long. But also, like the way they got rich usually is you know they're pretty cutthroat in the boardroom and they they have no problem making a deal. So like for, for them, yelling at someone is not a big deal. And even to them, the multi-million dollar player who we consider rich is, you know, to them, a bum, an employee. Yeah. Like, they do stuff like that all the time. I mean, just look at uh, 
what just happened in Dallas, except it wasn't the owner. It was, it was the, uh, the CEO. It was like, yeah. really just say that about your own two players? And, you know, there's famous examples of it. Um, Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, owned the San Diego Padres back in the like late 70s, I think. Late seventies or early eighties, and he they were playing like crap one day, and he came on to the PA and like address system, yell at them <laughs> during a game. He just started berating his own team in front of the crowd. You're like, is this really happening? Like, yep. That's bonkers. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sports owners are stupid. Always side with, almost always, you should side with the players and the fans. Yeah. You should side with the fans. The fans Absolutely. are the people who allow this to happen. So I know. Um. All right, so Suter Suter won an award. He won the Rookie of the Year in 1986. Yes, one of and... one of three players from that draft. Lemieux won it the first year. Oh, Suter won it the next yeah, year, and right. then Luke Robitaille won it the year after that. Which is crazy, and probably has mm-hmm. never happened before or since. It's, or at least it's a rarity, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then he was also top five in Norris voting once, which uh, I mean, just goes to show you once again, given given the the. Professional Hockey Writers Association's penchant for voting for offensive defensemen for the Norris. Yep. Just goes to show you how much of an offensive era it was that Gary Suter got top five voting once for the Norris, yeah. despite yeah. the fact that he was putting up 70 points like all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, just, just a, more of an illustration of that is that, like, you know, he's one of only nine players, to, uh, one of nine defensemen to ever have 70 assists in a season. And, uh, you know, to another exclusive club, one of only 14 defensemen to ever have 60 assists twice, and one of only, you know, uh, eight defensemen to ever have 90 points, one of only 18 to ever have 80 points twice, and yet he was only top 10 in assists once in the league. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. people were scoring a lot. Yeah. Back. Yeah. A very different era. Um, so he only made one second team All Star. Yeah. And he was first team all rookie, which makes sense. He won the Calder, but like, and he was only in four All Star games. So you can tell it, even though he was putting up all this offense, people didn't necessarily judge him as you know one of the elite defensemen of his era. Yeah, and you know he always seemed to play with really good partners too, which I, I guess probably helps his stats in some ways. But yeah. I think that's just because he was a legitimate top pairing defenseman who could play with those guys, like. Yeah. He was a legit, like at least, at least a legit, very, very good number two defenseman his entire career. I would say, you know, until the very end, probably. Yeah, like here he's he's playing at age thirty five. He's playing twenty three and a half minutes a game. You don't do that because you know you either do that because you have no choice. Yeah, that, that that Sharks team was, I believe, pretty decent. Um, yeah, they were all right by then. They were, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's the team that upset the the Presidents Trophy Blues, I think. Um, anyway, um, they were pretty good, and like yeah. you're playing, you know, top pairing minutes at age 35 on a on a like second round playoff team. That says something, and we don't have ice time before that. But like, that's true. I I mean, I think you're absolutely right, Bill. I think that like he was a top pairing guy and would have been the number one defenseman only he was playing with a hall of famer for the first uh Two hall of, famers, of his career yeah no i mean like with McCann, and then he played Chel- with chelios right yeah. Yeah. so yeah like he had like you know that's not his fault yeah i mean it yes i agree with you it probably benefited his stats somewhat but it also um probably also sought to obscure him a little bit given mm-hmm. you know 
um, as we'll talk with uh, about Chelios in a few minutes, but also with McKinnis, you know, who has uh, has because of what happened later in his career, in part, has maybe a much better reputation at this point. Yeah, or not only much better, but significantly better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's um. The, the the only other thing to add about Suter, I think, is that he had that dirty reputation from a few uh, incidents of him injuring people quite uh, quite grievously. Um, first one was when he uh, when he hurt Gretzky, which of course you know how can you hurt Gretzky? Um, that was in the, the that was in the '91 Canada Cup, and he hurt Gretzky's back, and then Gretzky sort of had back problems for a large portion of the rest of his career. So I don't know if that's when it started, but odds are that that probably is when. Uh, when Wayne started having some physical issues that I don't think he had before then. Um, yeah. And then there's the, the infamous cross check on uh, Paul Correa, um, you know, which gave him his, probably his worst concussion and uh, sort of changed the type of player that he was after that. Um, I mean, he was still a really good player after that, but at the beginning of his career, he looked like he was going to be, you know, one of the best players you've ever seen. Cause he was just so fast. He had the great slapper and he could score in a whole bunch of different ways and super creative. He's playing with Solani. So they were like, out. Uh, Gary Suter cross-checked him right in the jaw. And uh, he did not go to the 98 Olympics and Canada did not win the gold. And we have been upset ever since. <laughs> um, yeah. And he was playing with Celios as his partner at the time. Yeah. Which is made for quite the, yeah, and then both of them played for Team USA in the Olympics. Bobby Clark petitioned unsuccessfully to try to get him suspended for the Olympics. Because uh, <laughs> Bobby Clark's Bobby Clark. Yeah. And Bobby Clark insisted he had done it intentionally and so did Korea. And then some other people said that he hadn't, including Al McInnes. And he wasn't that kind of player and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was not his first incident, uh, nor was it nor was it his... Uh, no, actually, I think it might have been his last, like, really sort of bad one. Um but uh, he he had a few other ones as well. There's a, there's a video you can watch on on YouTube from the 87 Canada Cup. And the Americans are playing the Russians and a Soviet player comes in and like high sticks him or like spears him in the neck, like as he tries to hit him. And Duder just turns around and like slashes him right in the head. <laughs> like I think the guy needed like 25 stitches to stitch and his whole face is all bloody. You're like... Uh, and it's like, he got a match penalty and suspended. Like, yeah, no kidding. He slashed him in the face. <laughs> like, I understand you're mad you got high stick, but like, it was, a, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a rough one. So it, like, a lot of people said he didn't have that reputation as a dirty player. And, you know, Suter sort of defended himself and said, you know, I didn't know it was Korea when I did it. And other people said that he did know and all kinds of stuff like that. But, uh, and it, his basic defense was that every time I hurt somebody with a, you know, a borderline play, it always seems to be a superstar. So everybody hates my gut. Like, well, maybe you shouldn't hit those guys like that. And the Korea one came right after he had scored a goal too. So it was particularly egregious. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article before, and apparently, people were saying that uh, that Chelios was out to get uh, Korea. That the previous time they had played, he kept saying, "I'll get you, I'll get you." <laughs> and then Suter's the one who ends up cross-checking him in the face. So like, that doesn't look good. <laughs> that does not look good at all. No. But you know, Chelios, another famously, you know, played right on the edge and often crossed over yeah. and played the game hard. And some would say very dirty. Some would say, you know, a little dirty or basically. By the time we get two thousand four, basically everybody played like that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but interesting that they both played together and were talking about the 
the two of them on the same uh, same podcast, and that their styles of play were quite similar to very uh, very strong defensively, but rough and like not one to shy away from the occasional cross check or uh, slash in order to get the job done in front of the net, sort of thing, you know? Yeah, and it's it's just as another thing when we're talking about his case. Um, or, or lack thereof or whatever, is that he did win a Stanley Cup, but he won a Stanley Cup, uh, he was injured for almost all of it. Wow. And he uh, he was injured as well on the uh, on the, the, flame, uh, the Flames team that almost won the Cup in 86. Wow. And, um, and so he actually doesn't have a lot of NHL playoff success. And hmm. uh, he doesn't have a lot of international success. Um, he's just got basically the one, the 96 uh, World Cup, um, because he was on a runner up in the Olympics and he was on a runner up at the uh, Canada Cup. So it's just, it's, and he, you know, had relatively important roles on some of those teams, but like on the, the Olympic team, obviously, it was last year. He, uh, he didn't. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, he, he just uh, so I, I think that, it, you know, if you can, there's various ways you can critique his inclusion. And one of them would be, you know, that he uh, he was certainly not the most significant player on on the Flames if they didn't need him, um, you know, when he when they went to the, the, those two finals. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, I don't know when he was injured. I haven't looked up the game. Well, I don't we don't have game logs back that far, I don't think. But uh, yeah. at least not in hockey reference. But uh if I had was able to look up the game logs, I haven't done that. And but I just know he like on the uh, eighty nine flames he played like three games. Yeah. In the playoffs. Yeah. And on the eighty six uh, flames, what did he play? He played ten, but out of what would that be twenty? I think. Yeah. Or eighteen or something. Uh, it would have been twenty one. So yeah. So in both cases, he uh, he missed a hell of a lot of time though. On the uh, 86 team, he scored a bunch before he got hurt. But anyway, mm. just like so, I I mean, uh, I'm I'm I think he's one of these players who's like, yes, his career was sort of maybe a little bit unfairly overshadowed by who he played with, but I also don't think he's quite there because he doesn't really have enough. Despite his gaudy offensive numbers, he doesn't have enough. Like he didn't excel compared to his his era quite enough for me and uh certainly with the the lack of like like star turns in the playoffs or internationally for the most part. I, I would have to agree i'd have to agree that he's um he's like a rock solid defenseman uh a guy that pretty much anybody would take on their team he's you know probably as good as a number two defenseman gets yeah. But I, I, I'm of the opinion that number two defensemen shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Like, if you're not a number one D-man, and yes, he could have been a number one D-man, I suppose, on some, on some lesser teams. But, you know, he, he played with two Hall of Famers, and those guys are both clearly the better player than he was. You know, some people might argue that Gary Suter is better defensively than Al McInnes. But at least, at least when they were both on the Flames, yeah. Yeah, at least when they were both on the Flames, because you know, Al was sort of looking to score goals, and the Flames were more of an offensive juggernaut back then. So, uh, it's it, it's interesting for me. He's he's just a step below uh, on you know who who I would put into the hall. I don't necessarily think that. Uh, I think you could probably you know sit around and have a few beers and make an argument for him. But you'd have to prove to me that there's a lot of other guys that he's better than. Yeah. Um, you know. 
Yeah. And, and that would, you know, it would have to be like his contemporaries to be like, oh, well, he was better than this guy and he's in, and he was better than this guy and he's in. Like, okay. Yeah. You know, if, if you sat down and talked to me about Phil Housley, uh, we might have an interesting conversation, but I'm not, I'm not always 100% sure that Housley could be in. So, yeah, 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 me too. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think. Yeah. I, 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 a good place for him would be the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame because then he, you know, he comes across as, you know, the fourth or fifth best defenseman ever for an American. Yeah. I think maybe he belongs into that Hall of Fame and they do have one. Um, well, he probably but, is in it. I haven't looked at Oh, uh, you would think, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially now. Um, so up next we have Chris Chelios, whose career overlapped suitors on both ends because Chelios played forever. Yes, he did. Uh, so he played, he started his career, tar- started uh, two years prior to Gary Suter's and finished eight years after Gary Suter. Man, and there's a lockout year in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Telios, of course, is one of those players who, when we were talking about Gary Suter, we mentioned there were a few Americans ahead of them, defensemen in terms of offensive numbers and Telios being one of them. Yeah. Um, he's also just one of the better offensive uh, American players of all time. He's fourth all time among American skaters in a Wow, that's great. Um, and he's top 10 among defense, all defensemen. He's top 25 in goals among defensemen, top uh, 10 in points among all defensemen. Um, second American all time in plus minus of whether forwards or defense. Um, and of course, famously, he played forever. He is somehow only sixth all time in games played. Really? Wow. Yeah, which is like you know, uh, I mean, partly that's because of what Yager's been up to lately, and uh, and Gordie Howe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, obviously Gordie Howe is is uh, is way up there if he's not first, but I can't remember off the top of my head. I was gonna look this up right now. Um, um, he did play forever. Yeah, so yeah, Gordie Howe is first, Messier is second, Yager's third, Francis is fourth, Ricky is fifth. By one, Rocky beat Chelios by one. Wow! Um, and then they are well; both of them are well behind Ron Francis. Um. Anyway, uh, though Patrick Marlowe, he plays another season. Hell, finishes this season. Wow, he's getting there. Getting there, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, so Chelios played forever, which is one of the reasons he has those god offensive numbers. But he was also for a while quite a good offensive defenseman in the uh, in the late '80s and early '90s. Um, he's also, it's worth noting, at least by hockey references, defensive point share metric, the best American defenseman of all time. Wow. You have to take, you have to remember, and I'm not saying this isn't true, but you have to remember that that is a cumulative stat. So it, yeah, he played 1,650 games. So if he played 1,300 games, it would be lower. It's yeah. not per game. So that's just, you know. Um, and hockey reference says he's the 17th best offensive defenseman ever. Okay. But again, not per game. Yeah. So, you know, that, that eliminates people like uh, uh, like Kevin Hatcher and, uh, I don't know, other offensive defensemen who didn't play forever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he played forever and he scored a lot of points uh, prior to not scoring a lot of points in the last 30 or so of his career. And, um, um, so uh, he wasn't drafted as low as Suter by any means, but he was also drafted not that high, even though he played in the WHS, he was drafted 40th overall in 1981. 1981. And 
somehow is second in that draft in games played. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because of Ron Francis. Because of Ron Francis. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, he was uh, very good in that draft. Uh, he uh, He's eighth in goals, fourth in assistant points. So, I mean, among the best offensive players of the draft, despite being a defenseman, in part because, uh, you know, after after him, you get if you sort by say goals, for example, that drops off pretty yeah. quickly. You know, Kelly has scored less than two hundred goals in his career, and he's eighth in the draft. So you get some idea that it wasn't necessarily. This is not the, this is not Suter's draft. Basically, is what I'm saying. Like it's a, it's a considerably uh, weaker draft it's still not terrible i mean you have like uh four hall of famers in it minimum yeah. at least that i can see but um it's it's and that's better than a lot of drafts but it is uh significantly um weaker in terms of the overall number of players that came out of it who were you know like the best goalie is grant fear um or F- ben breesbrook depending on your opinion uh oh, what about mike vernon? Vernon? Yeah, sorry mike vernon yeah yeah sorry yeah. missed him there um so actually it did the three three pretty great goalies out of that so yeah. goalie wise it did pretty well but i was looking more at skaters where it's like you know you get down below uh 300 goals after uh four players oh yeah yeah it didn't have the depth the other one had but they didn't have those you know lights yeah. out home runs like brett hull and look rubbish later around as well, yeah. as well. it yeah. seems like the top was uh was halfway decent you know howard Chuck was a great first overall pick um, you have uh, Chelios in the second round, Vernon in the second round, McKinnis in the first yeah. round, Ron Francis in the first round. Um, yeah, I mean, but like, there's only three players who scored a thousand points, yeah, and that doesn't include Chelios because somehow Chelios didn't score a thousand points despite playing 1650 games. <laughs> he came pretty close, I think. He did, he came very close, but like, he uh. It's partly because you know he's he's changed his style in like the last yeah. however many years of his career. You know. Oh yeah, by the time he played on the Red Wings, he was like a fourth defenseman. It was just a pain in the butt to play against. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so like it, because he played for so long, his eighty-two game average is less impressive than Sears. <laughs> it's only forty-seven points. His peak. I picked one era that sixty-three points, but like. So that's basically Suter's regular 18 game average, but it was hard. Chelios's best offensive seasons are kind of all over the place. Mm. So, uh, like, his uh, two uh, two best offensive seasons, his three best offensive seasons are seven years apart. Wow. So it's like, fine, you can't really do the, like, three-year peak thing like yeah. I normally do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, those are still great numbers now for a defenseman. Yeah, but like given the area he played in, they're really skewed by the fact that later on he, uh, you know, he really wasn't scoring a lot, like you said, when he was on the Red Wings. Yeah, yeah, it's almost it's almost like he had two separate careers, and one of them was as a, you know, like a defensive stalwart um, yeah. who was just you know such a pain in the butt to play. You know, Vancouver played against the Red Wings a lot back in those days, and I just remember how hard he was to play against in front of the net. He would just get away with so much because he had that veteran sort of, you know, get-out-of-jail-free card where yeah, you could just yeah, cross-check absolutely. people repeatedly. Yeah. Um, but when he was young, he was very 
uh, dynamic, you know, hit big, shot big, uh, jumped yeah. into the play in a way that a lot of defensemen back then didn't. Um, like I remember him in the mid nineties and he had been in the league for quite some time by that yeah. point. And yeah, was absolutely. just like, he would jump into the rush like as the trailer and just destroy you every time. Like, Oh, so annoying to play against. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember him beating the Canucks in the playoffs once pretty much by himself. I was very upset. <laughs> um, yeah. kept scoring the game winners in overtime and just like, you know, everybody goes down low. Oh, here comes Chelios. His trailer's going to score. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. He was a, he was a um, very, very good defenseman. I I always found him a little, you know, uh, a little overzealous and a little dirty. But, you know, the same could be said for three quarters of the defensemen back then. Derry and Hatcher, guys like that, you know. And just go, oh, guy's coming across the blue line. Ah, put your stick around his neck. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that era. Um, he also, it's worth noting, he's also the career leader in playoff games. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but... Despite yeah. that, he also, you know, he's 17th all time in assists, but like otherwise, not. he was always on really good teams. Like when he was in Montreal, they were very good. When he yeah. was in Chicago in the early, you know, um, yeah, early 90s, mid, yeah. mid 90s, leading up until they sort of fell apart, like, you know, when they traded Gary Suter for a bag of pucks and yeah. stuff like that. But he, you know, he was, you know, I, I believe he was their captain at that point, unless it was, um, Unless it was Larmer, if he was still there. So, uh, well, yeah. Larmer left sometime in the mid nineties. Yeah, so left, then so. it would have been Chelios, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then he went to Detroit when they were also very good, and you know, picked yeah. up another cup and played. Yeah, I mean, the only then, bad so. team he was on were the the. Uh, I was going to say the Thrashers, um, but he was only on the Thrashers for seven games. So, yeah, I don't think that really counts. <laughs> it barely counts. I, I um, honestly, I had forgotten that he even played for them. I think he was just trying to. I don't know. He was trying to prolong his career. Yeah, he may have been. He may have been trying. I I think he wasn't. I'm not. I mean, he. There was no way he was going to meet like get anywhere near close to the games played. Mm-hmm. But I think he might have been trying to be the second oldest NHL player in history. Maybe I seem to remember that was maybe what he was up to. And yeah. Then eventually, he just couldn't. Well, he cope he even went down and played in the AHL for a little while. Like yeah, he just yeah, didn't exactly. want to stop playing hockey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then and at I, one point, I think he was going to become a bobsledder. <coughs> well, I remember, I remember hearing at the end of uh, the end of his career, um, the Red Wings guys would talk about how he was like prolonging his career and able to still play that many minutes at his age. Like you know, yeah. he was forty two or forty three at that point and still playing top four minutes. And uh, they said like once a week he would go and lock himself in the sauna with like a gallon or a gallon or two of water. Yeah. And would would put an exercise bike in the sauna, and he called it like his desert ride. And he yeah. would like for forty five minutes would bike like a maniac in a sauna and just like chug water the whole time. And it's like they're like that's the sort of stuff he was doing to try to keep up with this younger guy. Like he's borderline insane. We, we don't know why he's doing this to himself, but <laughs> that's how he does it. So the trade, you know, a conditioning freak, and I think that's sort of the you have to be that you know, that obsessed with it to be able to play to that age, you know. Yeah, and I think yeah. all those guys, Yager and, you know, um, Recky, all those guys who played well into their 40s recently, it's because they yeah. devoted themselves so much to conditioning to make sure that they could keep up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing about Recky is, like, I've always, when you look at his face, yeah, you're just like, that guy is in shape. <laughs> I know. Clearly, eh? yeah. clearly he was. Yeah. He played well into the 40s. So uh, the trades, there's only two of them this time. 
Um, and the first one is a pretty big one in terms of, uh, certainly uh, in terms of for Chicago, which is that they traded um, uh, Denny Savard for yep. Chelios and a second round pick that never played in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And that, it's interesting because, of course, Denny Savard, you know, worked out for the Habs in some ways because Denny Savard was on the cup winner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it also, I mean, it's hard to say it didn't work out for Chicago because Chelios was on there for a period of time that Chicago was as good as they had been in years prior mm-hmm. to the Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane era. Um, you know, that was like basically their best, their best teams with the, in the early nineties there um, since the early seventies, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Like it had been basically almost 20 years. Oh yeah. Yeah. That they've been irrelevant. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think that's a bad trade for either team. No, it's real. Well, the thing is, Montreal had coveted Savard ever since they missed on him in the uh, mm-hmm. in the draft where they took, I think they took Doug Jarvis number one. I want to say it was Doug Jarvis. Um, and, and ever since then, people, you know. Wickenheiser, was it? Oh, yeah, it was Wickenheiser, yeah. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the Doug Wickenheiser. <laughs> That was yeah. He's one of those like he's one of the top couple busts ever. Oh yeah, yeah. And then and then you know Denny Savard being you know having the name Denny Savard and where he's from, yeah. Montrealers obviously would have been a lot happier with him as the pick. Um, and so I think they had coveted him for a long time. And even though he was also nearing he scored, the end of his like, five times as many points as Doug Wickenheiser did. But oh yeah, yeah, for sure, of course, yeah. Um, he's, Denny Savard was a great player, and the, the yeah. fact that they traded for him and traded Chelios. I don't know if Montreal just felt like their defense was strong enough and that, you know, Desjardins was on his way and they were going to be okay. Or if Chelios did something because he was a notorious partier and may have done something, you know, Montreal being a party town, he may have done something. They were like, if the media finds out about this, like we got to get rid of you now. Could have been one of those. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm, I've heard all kinds of rumors. I'm not going to go and throw around horrible things about somebody that I have no basis of knowing if they're true or not. Um, but whatever the reason was, the Habs really wanted Savard. And when they got him, they ended up winning that cup. And he was hurt. He was he was in a suit when they paraded around with the cup on the ice. He didn't even play. Yeah. He got hurt, like, in, I think, the opening round of the playoffs or maybe even before the playoffs started. Um, so, But, you know, a, lo- a lot of people point to that trade in Montreal, um, probably until the recent Ben trade, as like, a, oh, that's where we screwed up the franchise for the next decade because we got rid of a number one defenseman, you know, for not enough coming back sort of thing. Yeah, that's probably true. But the thing is, the other thing though is that, I mean, it, you, I mean, it's hard to know, right? Like, because like, yeah. yes, Chelios, uh, Chelios was very good, and uh, he he continued to be good. But like, Svart didn't decline right away, but he did. He had already started declining somewhat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he had been a point of game player for for his entire career, well over pointing in player for his entire career for Chicago. And he was getting that point when he was almost, um, you know, he was a 29 or something like that when, when the trade happened. And Chelios was slightly younger. So from that point of view, yeah, it's bad deal for Montreal. But like Montreal, as you said, Montreal does make decisions sometimes not based just on that. You know, it's based in this case on his, his, uh, his ethnicity, for lack of a better word. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's not like Savard was terrible for them while he was on, you know. I mean, yeah, he, he unfortunately got hurt, but, like, yeah, he uh, he still, uh, he 
he was still putting up points for them. I mean, not as much as he did for Chicago. Yeah. He was also in his thirties. Um, yeah, well, you know what? He was only hurt. For the, he was only hurt for the final. I just looked it up, and uh, yeah. he played fourteen games that year, so it means he played. Uh, yeah, he played in round uh, round one, one, two, and three, and then I guess he got hurt against the Islanders. I would say probably. I just I think it's like it's 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 a little more even. Won the cup. I mean, if you if you know if you, you can go back and say that a trade was really bad, but they did win the cup that year, and Chicago yeah. did not. So exactly, and and yeah. that's the thing is like. Who knows if they would have won if they hadn't made that deal? I mean, who knows? Anyway, uh, the other trade is uh, Detroit and Chicago, and it's a little more lopsided, uh, given what happened with Detroit. Not necessarily all Ch- to Chilius's credit, given the role his role changed drastically pretty quickly. But like uh, he uh, Chelios was traded um, for Anders Ericsson and uh, two first round uh, draft picks. Whoa. Uh, and those first round draft picks turned into uh, Steve McCarthy and Adam Monroe. Oh, yeah. So, oops. <laughs> yep, call it a win. Yeah, like, so Chelios, even though he did play fewer minutes in the, uh, eventually, um, where's, where are you here, Chris? He was still playing a lot of minutes until, like, to, until the lockout, basically, he was still playing top four minutes. In fact, he was playing uh, top two minutes, presumably with uh, Lind- um, Lidstrom, um, in in uh, like the first few years of his career in Detroit. Even though he was not scoring anywhere near like he used to, and you know, Anders Ericsson, um, you know, went to uh, went to Chicago and uh, played top four minutes, and then got traded. And then got traded again, and then got traded again, and you know. Um, anyway, I, I think Detroit won that trade. Yes, you would have to. Say that, I think. Um, and you know, I mean, no one could have known that Chelsea would play a very important role on on some very good teams. And uh, yeah, so um, I don't know. I I think that's pretty obvious that. Uh, even though he got there after the, the those cups, you know he he was important for that. And then later he um, he was on the uh, the two thousand two, and then crazily the two thousand eight, of course. But like that's yes, because he played forever because he was yes. forty six when that happened. Uh, so um, just to give a, an interesting contrast in terms of the way Chelios was viewed and Gary Sutter was viewed, as we said before, Gary Sutter was nominated, uh, got top five Norris voting. Once in one season, Chelios won three Norris trophies, mm-hmm. and he finished uh, top five in Hart voting once, and top five in Norris voting uh, nine total. Sorry, seven total times. Um, and then, if you like, look into like the, if you were to expand that outside of the top five, you get a bunch more top tens, like seven more top tens or something like that. So he's basically considered one of the top 10, def- he was considered one of the top five defensemen in the league for almost a decade, for two thirds of a decade, and one of the top 10 defensemen for well over a decade. Um, by, by the writers. So uh, yeah. that's a very different story than Gary Suter. <laughs> like, yes, it is. Yeah. In addition, um, I, uh, I, we've talked about this before, um, w- way back when I tried to figure out, like, using hockey references, point shares, 
who deserved their Norrises, and I, I'm pretty sure from memory that uh, Chris Chelios deserved at least two of his three, if not all three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in which it was hard to find another candidate who was a better choice in 89 and 93 and 96. So, I mean, if you avoid the, like, dirtiness part of it. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, like, he, you know, he was very... It's for for those of us like me, who who more watched when he was past his prime, you know, it's harder to imagine. But he was he was at one point he was very 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 good. Oh yeah, he was he was amazing. I mean that that dirtiness was always in his game. That uh, he's <laughs> it's actually interesting. We talk about him and Scooter, and we have like some all time like dirty clips, <laughs> sort of cheap shots. Everybody remembers him best. In Montreal, like the, the one defining thing you remember about him in Montreal is uh, when Ron Hextall attacked him in 89, uh, when they beat the Flyers in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals, and Ron Hextall came out of his nets and jumped him, and it was, you know, because Ron, and just basically Ron Hextall losing his mind. And that's sort of the clip everybody points to as, you know, madman Ron Hextall. Well, that came because he elbowed their captain in the head in game one and knocked him out of the series. And it was a pretty dirty elbow. <laughs> like he knocked him right out. Like Who was the the, I mean, captain that year was, prop Brian, was Brian Prop. Yeah. 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 Um, so considering the viciousness of that elbow, because a lot of people just they only know the Ron Hextall clips. They just think he lost it and attacked Chris Chelios. And they're like, oh, what did Chelios ever do? It's like, um, no, that was payback for something else. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but he was always that type of player. You know, he was gonna go hard after your best player and sort of. Whatever happened, happened, but he was going to go after him. That's for sure. And a little bit like a Scott Stevens, but without that reputation of absolutely laying people out. But uh, he was going to make life hard on the uh, opposing team star players. That's for sure. Yeah. But I mean, he did like, even though he had the reputation for being dirty and it was dirty, he also had a reputation for being solid defensively. And I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He was very Gary Suter was clearly at his peak. Gary Suter was a significantly better offensive player than Chelios. Chelios got a lot more attention. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like uh, he's got he's got more votes. He's got more uh, all-star appearances, uh, all-star game, sorry, all-star game appearances, all-star uh, end of season, all-star team appearances, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, he was really, he, he has a fair amount of hardware um, outside of the Norris. Like he's the first team all-star five times, you know, is pretty, pretty good. Um, given that there's only two, I think two defensemen on that pair, I uh, mean, on that team, right? Um, and also the other thing is if you look at like, their, if you compare the great teams, you know, like instead of a suit, there's not much. When you get to Chelios, there's a lot. Yeah. You know, um, in addition to uh, being on uh, um, winning some cups, he also played, a, he was a, he was the best defenseman and sometimes the best skater on teams that almost won cups or came very close to winning cups. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, anyway, uh, that's weird. I, oh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just looking at something I wrote and not understanding it. Um, like he, uh, so like he, you know, he might've been depending on your, uh, just to give you an example. He was, uh, best skater by points on the 89 Canadians um, who were not a great offensive team. Uh, he was possibly the best skater by points on uh, the 92 Blackhawks who were also a runner up. You know, there's a lot of these teams where he was like, not just the best defenseman, 
but he was leading the team in points, even though he was a defenseman. And in a wide open era, which he was not necessarily on the highest scoring teams, but like he was their most important player. So, I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, and he also played internationally, but like it, he had, yes, he was lucky enough to be on these three great teams for a while, or great or very good, but he was also like very important. Unlike Suter, who was like the second guy, he, Chelios yeah. was the guy. Yeah. Until he got to the Red Wings, Chelios was the guy. On, exactly. On, yeah. On and, the Habs and, and, and then on the, on the uh, Blackhawks. Yeah, and you, you would have to say that he had a fair bit to do with the teams that he played on always being very good, you yeah, know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that, like, for me, there's just absolutely no doubt that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Um, I, I I would have to agree, even though I don't like him very much. He's, yeah, yeah. I think he's oh, a, yeah, yeah. Listen, no doubt. I, don't, I don't like him either, Um, though you, you saw him more because he played in the West. Yeah. Um, certainly, I mean, he played in the East before I cared about hockey. Uh, But um, I, I never liked him either. Um. And I, um, but I, he actually, this is, this is terrible and not his fault, but I, I went to school with a bunch of Greek, um, <laughs> Greek Canadians and, and they were all dicks. Chelios on TV, he would remind me of these like assholes in my high school. And <laughs> probably would just like fucking Greek people or something like that. You know, like, I just get really annoyed. Um, I, I thought you were going to tell a story about how much they loved Kelios and it drove you crazy, but no, they were just all real jerks. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with them. I, I might, our theory, I, I've talked about this with friends, I, uh, my high school friends who I'm still in touch with, and we like, we think that their their fathers must have been real assholes or something because they were all there were like five of them and they were all dicks and like they all hung out together too. It was like the yeah, Greek, well, good, good. The I mean, you know, people of different ethnicities tend to hang out together more often yeah, than yeah, not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like I I went a relatively not not diverse yeah. by Toronto standards, but uh, yeah. by like other other city standards, a very diverse high school. And, yeah, uh, well, I, I I think that's the thing to realize too. You happen to you happen to run into five Greek jerks. We're not saying Greek people are jerks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those no, particular no, no, no. guys. No one is saying that. I'm just saying that Chris Chelios reminded me of these guys when I would see them, and I'd be like, uh, I know uh, these guys in my high school who happen to be Greek. Um, that's pretty fun. Is, is I believe Greek American. Yes, yes, yes. I yes, yeah. he was uh, in my mind. So uh, all that is to say that I never particularly like Kelios either, but I think he has an absolutely slam dunk case. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that, like, he has a very strong case. And I'm not saying he is, but certainly by Norris Awards and and things like that and, mm -hmm. and things like uh, um, uh, defensive point shares, he has a case to be considered the greatest American NHL defenseman ever. Um, yeah. Now, there are other candidates you can talk about like brian leach for example yeah who you could get into an argument about, but like he does have a very strong case he does and so yeah, i think he's, it's not just that he belongs in the hall of fame it's that he is you know sort of a level up from that and that if you care about at least where people come from you know he's a very strong case to be considered the greatest american defenseman ever so yeah i, I would say definitely uh, top two if it's not, you know, if it's not him, it's Leach, and then I would say he's number two. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that's a better American defenseman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like both, you know, both Housley and Suter have their their flaws. You can pick at, mm -hmm. and yeah. after that, uh, nobody yet has played anywhere near as long as those guys. So. Yeah.
Um, lastly, we have Bullet Joe Simpson. Uh, yeah. Joseph was actually his third name. His real name was Harold Edward Joseph Simpson. Um, wow. He, unlike the other two, he is actually Canadian from Manitoba. Um, and he played a rather long time ago, like uh, a number of our, like all our old timers. Uh, but unlike some of our old timers, he entered the league. Uh, he entered the NHL um, late uh, in 25, but he he joined the WCHL when the NHL already existed. So mm-hmm. he's he's not one of these guys who played in the NHL first. Yeah. Um, and he only played in the NHL for six seasons, and he played four seasons in the WCHL prior to that. So, you know, 10 years, which was fairly standard for uh, hockey players back then. You know, he, they're, the guys who played, like, longer than that. the guys who play like 300 games or whatever uh which this guy didn't get to uh or fairly rare you know like i, I feel like uh, we were talking about a guy a few episodes ago who played 300 games and he was like one of the five players in the history of the league at that point who played 300 games yeah. um so you know he had a fairly decent career for um for back then um and uh he was uh so he he joined the league he was he was kind of old um, because he had played senior hockey instead of being in the NHA. And, uh, like, you know, a lot of people made those dis- different decisions, and so he'd been amateur until he joined the WCHL. And uh, so he was uh, he was actually fairly old when he got to uh, the NHL. And um, among those players, uh, among the 15 defensemen who were 30 years older in 1925 to 1931, which, by the way, isn't that insane? There were only 15 defensemen in the league who were over 30 during that six-year wow. period. Um, he was one of the top five uh, offensive defensemen for the most part, maybe top seven, depending on your metric. So, you know, he was, I mean, among the better defensemen. There was a very small league at the time. Um, that wouldn't quite put him uh, number one defenseman, but top top pair, if in our modern terms, there were not top pairs. Of course, there were like, you know, what was it, seven or eight players on a team until I can't remember what year that they expanded the rosters. But, um, but anyway, he was among the better defensemen and uh, offensively. And we don't have any real knowledge of his defensive abilities because DPS, as we talked about back then, is really flawed. But we'll talk about it a bit anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, he was. He seems to have been. Decent, especially given his age, uh, when he when he was traded into the uh, WCHL when it was falling apart, um, he was also uh, pretty decent in the WCHL. Uh, um, he may have been ninth all time in goals, sixth all time in assists, and uh, eighth all time in points. So that that league is hard. You know, people came in and out of that league so much. Yeah, it, like it's hard to take that stuff seriously. But you know, top ten offensive player in that league. Uh, despite being a defenseman. So yeah. uh, that's pretty good. And, uh, you know, I, I, depending on how you weight the WECHL, that may be fairly notable. Um, I mean, it, it's, as we've talked about many times with these uh, with these old-timers, it's, it's hard, especially with defensemen, to really, really assess, um, you know, their role. And, and how important they were because all you really have are offensive stats. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's a lot of those guys sort of get, um, even though we have the stats to sort of back up 
or sort of point us in the direction of knowing that they were very good. Uh, and especially in an era where there were no secondary points. So you can usually only tell how great somebody is by either primary assists, if they even recorded them, and then goals, right? So, I mean, he had pretty much a goal a game during his peak season. Yeah. Um, was a legendary player. Did back then. No, I, I I know they did, but he, he seemed to uh, have a reputation as being uh, a very good player. And, it, you know, it, um, there was an article I read where uh, there was even a quote from New Zealand where he said that he was the best living hockey player. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, which, you know, coming from New Zealand, obviously a very high compliment. Yeah. Um, and basically, you know, that he was the kind of guy who would rush the puck from one end to the other. And that's why he was called Bullet, because he was such a good skater. Um, you know, and like many Canadian boys had learned how to skate on a little pond out in Elkirk, Manitoba for him. Yeah. Um, also worth noting too, that he was, uh, uh, he received the military medal for his service in world war one and was, uh, was injured twice. So that was before he put up his numbers in, the, the WCHL and then the NHL. Uh, he served yeah. in world war one and, uh, was wounded twice in the war at the battle of the thumb. And again, at Amiens. Um, so he was, <laughs> he was actually in, you know, he was in the war, like for real. Um, and his unit held part of the British front alongside a battalion commanded by major Winston Churchill. So he even has that little brush with other greatness. Um, yeah, it seems like he lived a very interesting life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then came back from the war and went on to be a hockey star. So, yeah. 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 Too bad. Which is like. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, that he was able to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, he, he, uh, you know, he was uh, clearly, in addition to being, I mean, he was clearly a good offensive player for a defenseman. I mean, as you said, he scored a lot. He also, like, when he was in the WCHL, he was among the better offensive players for uh, three of his, what did I say, four seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Four seasons. So three of his four seasons, he was among um, the best five offensive players in the league despite being a defenseman so he's clearly very very good um and then when he went into the nhl we take this with a huge grain of salt but he also he was uh at least by dps he was rated as one of the best defensemen in the league twice so i mean now who knows if that means anything because dps back then are just like basically get you know guesses involving uh the total number of goals uh scored and, and given up but um you know i mean he, he seems like he was a pretty great player and he uh he he didn't uh um he didn't win the stanley cup but he was the best defenseman if not the best player on a team that almost did win the stanley cup at least won the uh, wchl and also it's worth noting um he was on the allen uh, he was on a team. His his military team um, won the Allen Cup and then uh, defended it successfully three times. Wow! Uh, before Great. I think eventually losing it back when the Allen was still a challenge. So mm-hmm. uh, I mean now it isn't anymore. Like like yeah. everything. But so when he was a senior player, and this is during that was during World War One. Yeah. Um, when he was a senior player, he was a very good senior player, which makes sense because once he eventually switched over to the pros, he was actually a very good pro. So yeah. it's no surprise that he was a good, uh, he was a good uh, senior player. But like that, they um, they were able to you know hold on to it for 
um, what was it? A uh, few. Yeah, basically they eventually they eventually lost um, their fourth challenge. Um, well, anyway, they they held it for a while, so uh, it was a. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it was a different era with the challenging, but uh, the challenge cups. But like, they they were people were sending the, the, they thought were the best senior teams against you. Yeah, exactly. They were, they were uh, you know, they were two game series usually, but they uh, yeah. and they were goal differential. But <laughs> so it was very different back then. Yeah. But yeah. still, they still did it. He still did, it and he was he was. Uh, he was among their most important players, if not their most important players. So, yeah, he was their most important player, basically. So, you know, I, I mean, we don't know enough about him, but, like, honestly, like, it, it seems like he was a pretty great player. And, you know, you, you add in uh, certainly the fact that he, like like other NHL players who served in World War One, he actually served at the front rather than just playing on a team. Yeah. And, uh he did play on a team too, but he, yeah. he served, and you know that it's just like you know he's one of these guys. that's just like, like you've said many times with old timers, like you don't you don't really think about taking him out because like it looks like he was a great player, and you know it seems like he, in addition to that, he was also a, you know, uh, he he did some things that certainly none of us have had to do, uh, yeah. and came out of it okay, so. Yeah, it's in, you know, I think, I, I think, you know, how interesting his life was coupled with, you know, Lucy Lalone thing. He was, he was the best living hockey player, you know, yeah. coming from another guy who's like the best living, many hockey people player. would have considered the greatest hockey player for quite some time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it, just to have him even named in that conversation by that guy. Like Gretzky giving you a compliment, but like I guess he's pretty good. Then we should probably put him yeah, in the hall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For sure. uh, there's no reason to take him out, and the more you find out about him, you're like, wow, like not not just a great hockey player, but seemed like he lived a pretty kick-ass life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So just to wrap up again, uh, so Suter, I say nay. Suter's a no. You say no. Not by Chaios, much. But... We're both. Yeah. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah. Uh, Chelios, we both say yes. Yep, I'm Dunk. Very, it's very, uh, it's lots of controversy here. And Bullet Joe Simpson, we both say yes. Yeah, we both say yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, that's that's it for uh, this episode. Three defensemen, and uh, we have not yet talked about who we're talking about next, but it will be someone else from Chelios's induction year. I just can't remember who they are off the top of my head right now so <laughs> um yeah so we will uh see you next time thanks very much for listening all right take care